I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hi, Halima. Hi, Ioni. And hello to the listeners. Welcome to the Polyester Podcast. I'm Ioni, and I'm the founding editor-in-chief of Polyester Online Imprint Everywhere Else. And author of Poor Little Sick Girls, which you should pre-order. And I'm Halima, the community editor of Polyester Scene and the co-host of the Polyester Podcast. This is The Sleepover Club, a feminist pop culture podcast. We pull apart the hashtag discourse in the hopes of making some sense of it all. Before we get started, please like, rate, review and subscribe. (laughs) And in very exciting news, we have a review today. From Cunterella, I think, although the U is starred out. It is five stars. Why does this podcast not have five stars? All I could ask for from a podcast. The best mix of pop culture, politics and silliness. The topics always feel current and satisfy an itch I needed to scratch. Ioni and her guest hosts ask the right questions that other journalists don't. And the content is always clever and informative without being pretentious. Feels like you're chatting with your mates, but you're really cool ones. 10 out of 10 would recommend. Period. So leave us some more reviews so we can have our ego boosted Mm -hmm. and read them out halima has had her ego boosted up to the skies already this morning (laughs) (laughs) i love how everybody loves me on the podcast thank you everyone (laughs) (laughs) whenever we do the intro for this podcast i can hear the music so whenever you speak i'm like dancing to the (laughs) (laughs) right okay so where are we before we get into it today halima I feel there is something you want to clear up for our loneliness episode. Oh my god. I think this, this links generally to the topic of this episode anyway, so we can just go into it. Do you know okay, what I mean? Okay, okay, okay. So, Ioni, what are we talking about this week? The limits of lived experience. Yes. What does that we, mean, Halima? <laughs> we, I saw this article in the New York Times by this writer called Pamela Paul. Because it's called The Limits of the Lived Experience, and it's kind of like going into... People are like, she's, she's basically going into this concept that people are talking about more and more that only certain people should, she's talking specifically about the arts and creativity. So only certain people should be able to represent certain people or do certain bits of art. Um, she used examples like, should Steven Spielberg not direct West Side Story when it's like mostly about like the Puerto Rican experience and stuff like that, which I thought was very interesting. But I think it also links to the controversy that came with last week's episode about living alone. Mm-hmm. A lot of people in the comment section of, of our particular TikTok about living alone, because I only, what did the TikTok even say? Annie? What did you even say? <laughs> it was just me being a cow going like all the rich girls that I know are the only ones that live alone and they have to go out every night because they live alone, which I still stand by. Like there was a lot of comments being like, I'm not rich and I live alone. And that's fair enough. But I'm saying in this like very specific moment that we live in also in this city and I know it's it's a choice 
open, like in inverted commas to live in a city, whatever. But it's just so unaffordable. And I think it's fair enough to call it out, especially when so many people hide wealth or hide the fact their parents help them with rent or whatever. I, I stand by it. Yeah, I mean, you were literally just saying in the beginning that um, living alone is tied up with like wealth and having a certain amount of money. Yeah, and people were going off in the comments, being like, "As you said, I'm working class, and I just worked really hard to live by myself, like, and all this shit," which I thought was extremely annoying. <laughs> and there was a comment that we got last week that somebody wrote on the po- on the on the post that I thought was amazing, and they wrote, "Nobody is trying to make you feel bad for living alone, especially if you are not rich." But the point goes beyond you and your lived experience. Mm-hmm which I thought was a fantastic comment because people really individualize a comment, like a very small part of the podcast that was about the cost of living crisis. Um, and the fact that living in this country, especially in the UK, is extremely hard. And not even look at the states with gentrification, pushing literal, literal margin, marginalized mm-hmm. communities out of their own communities. Mm-hmm. People were saying shit like, I work very hard and all this shit which I thought was super annoying because when you say shit like I've just worked really hard, that's just that other people don't work hard. Yeah, that's the thing. I saw this this tweet as well. Sorry for speaking over you. Go on. I saw this tweet as well like a couple of weeks ago. I can't remember if it was after we recorded the podcast or whatever. But it was basically like this guy saying that he grew up in this house in like suburban America or whatever. And his parents bought their family home for £120,000. So his kind of life plan was to, you know, go to college, get a job, move back and buy a similar house and raise a family, whatever. So he graduated five years ago, started saving for a deposit. He saved like $30,000 or whatever, which is fucking loads of money. Like I don't have 30 grand. But then the house opposite his family home went on the market and it was $900,000. Like prices have inflated on housing so much like, And it's not even just about ownership, it's about rent as well. Like all of these things, we are pricing out people that want to like make families or like make lives in places where they have roots, like where they grew up, whatever, because it's unaffordable and we shouldn't have to ask people to abandon their communities for that. And it's such a capitalist mentality. And it's what capitalism really wants us to believe Mm. that like, and it links to the American dream that we can achieve anything if we just work hard. And so many people were sticking to that kind of mentality in our comment section and we all need to unlearn it really quickly because capitalism thrives off people being very rich and people being very very poor and no matter how hard that you, you work so those people work very very fucking hard mm, exactly. afford to live alone yeah. so i just thought that this all like and this is a great example of like the limits of the lived experience rhetoric because your individualized experience doesn't negate the fact that there are systematic issues with housing in this country and around the world exactly <laughs> that's why you're welcome it bothered me i just did not like our comment section last week. <laughs> you'll need to wise up <laughs> no some of um, you are very clever and smart yeah very some some not um, <laughs> also i found in that comment section so annoying how people were being like oh this is misogynist because women work really hard for independence and blah 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 blah, blah. i mean i think it's just the same thing people can work hard and still not have independence like independence what we discussed in the episode isn't the prize of like you've done womanhood correctly to be afforded your independence like some people can't be independent 
some people don't want to be independent and like what is independence under capitalism like whatever also the podcast was literally investigating why we desire so badly to live alone or be alone mm-hmm. and some people in the comments were like i love being alone and i was like but why right we gotta move on so okay. the limits of lived experience would you like to explain Okay, so I thought when I read the title of the article, I was like, oh, this is really interesting. Maybe it's going to be good. It was not a very good article, to be fair. Mm-hmm. Paula disagrees with the sentiment of like that only a certain person can talk, tackle a certain topic or a certain creative project based on their identity. She completely mm-hmm. disagrees with the the notion. She, she what does she say? She goes, she goes, let's make it personal. Am I, as a new columnist for the Times, allowed to weigh in in anything other than a narrow slither of Gen X women, white women's concerns or whatever? And she's talking very much about the fact that we lose a lot of creativity or a lot of art if we continue with that kind of way and rhetoric. Um, And what I really didn't like about the article is that she makes it seem like people's critiques about things like this, like having directors or artists who have a similar experience to what they are portraying. She made it seem like that that critique came out of nowhere. Like it, it didn't come mm. from marginalized people being like, this is really a flaw representation of X, Y, and Z. Um, she made it seem like it's just kind of like a, like, like a woke agenda, which I didn't like. Yeah, I think it's a silly one. And like, I liked your point in the research in which you kind of said like, it's interesting when that writer said like, oh, can I write only about my Gen X slither of white womanhood? Do I think that's just such a lazy thing to say? Because like, and I think it also speaks to our like culture, cultural moment of journalism, but across everything that people feel like they have to say things like this when actual journalism is like well reported, well researched, well discussed. Like obviously there are opinion pieces and personal essays like of which I've written a whole book about, so I'm not like exempt. But if you want to talk something that's so far out of your lived experience and there is like good ways to do it that aren't bad but I found it so interesting like yeah when you said like there is kind of this thirst for people of a certain type to insert themselves into these narratives or to feel like it's their right to comment on them like what you said about in your research you kind of mentioned Beyonce and like all the op-eds about Beyonce and stuff like the example I always think of which is from a few years back now is when The Last Black Man in San Francisco came out. And then I remember there was a piece in, I think it was the New York Times or The Cart or something. There was like, obviously it was a really well received film, but there was like a critique of it basically like exploring the director's whiteness and like the fact that he made this film about gentrification and the black experience in San Francisco, but like essentially came from a family that would have been complicit in that. And this article kind of made the point, which I like so agree with, that it would be far more interesting if white people or like, you know, people that are not of the experience, like dug their heels into their own experience of that more. So, for example, why don't we see anything of like, yeah, a white person exploring their complicity in gentrification or like, you know, a skinny person exploring their complicity in fat phobia and like all of these things. It always is taking on the oppressed's voice as opposed to thinking about how they can like their own complicity but also like why they're interested in that specific subject or project like we need more white people skinny people like not disabled people rich people to like talk about these things but through an honest gaze not through like 
the oh it's traumatic because it happened to people that, and that's bad or whatever do you know what I mean absolutely and again yeah because I made this point in, in the <laughs> thing that she talks about the fact that can I only cover like gen x white women I bet you haven't covered gen x white women in your work to an extent that is beneficial to the people who read the new york times like I bet you you haven't um and I was thinking about this do you remember when the whole Florence Gibbon stuff came out and um um people were I saw so many white women dunking on Florence Given mm. and they were absolutely relishing and destroying her on Twitter and I was thinking so many of y'all's feminism is the exact same yeah. why aren't you investigating the way that you behave it's so easy to dunk on another person or even investigate another person's life but not mm. investigate your own, your own. but I guess that, that's what I really didn't like like she was such a snobby fucking comment like should I only you don't do it I know that's the thing because it's not as if we have a hundred think pieces a day about like I don't even know like obviously white women do face problems in our society as well like we don't have any of that it's always like yeah I think it's our obsession with pop culture too and pop culture social politics or whatever that just gives it's like the combination of that celebrity and social politics makes everyone think they can have a piece of the pie do you know what Mm -hmm. I mean yeah another comment she made in the in the post was um one of the benefits of having somebody outside of that experience making art about another person is the fact that they don't have a bias. So they see it from outside an outside perspective, which I think is stupid. It's false. <laughs> because everybody has a bias. Everybody has an agenda. Like no matter if it's, you know, outside of something, everybody has an agenda or a bias. You like, have a gaze on everything in your life. Literally. Like this is this can also be applied to like photography, for example, in that like when the female gaze was a big trend the male gaze was seen as neutrality but nothing is neutral the male gaze is sexist like the male gaze is all of the racist all of these things also the female gaze can't be that but like pitting two things against each other to say that like yeah you're you're never neutral in your standpoints or this idea like I feel like white people love saying this stuff like especially if it's like a a white man directing like a black film like there was this article I read years ago that talked about how whiteness obscures the right or the wrong thing mm. so like there's there's no way of, of escaping agenda uh, an agenda or a bias so mm. it's just that's just a point I point I, I picked off that I just thought was ridiculous yeah and it's kind of a way for people feel like they can bypass their agendas or their mm. biases or like this um like oh but I'm opening the doors to these narratives or I'm doing this or I'm doing whatever and it's like yeah but you're doing it all through your position as power keeper like keeper of like gatekeeper basically yeah Mm -hmm. like nothing can go through it without no no narrative can cycle through the world without cycling through like white maleness essentially Mm -hmm. cisgender white maleness that is rich What, what do you think about this topic generally or like the way the term lived experience has entered our cultural lexicon I mean I was thinking about I actually just thought about this while we started recording as well because I feel like something that we've seen in very recently that kind of transcends in a way cultural art and culture is we've seen it a lot in British politics with all of the um, Rishi Sunak drama with his wife being a tax evader like there was a lot of people kind of coming 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Looking forward to say our politicians should be representative. Like, you shouldn't be able to be a politician if you've literally never had to worry if you know a multi-billionaire, whatever, one of the, as rich as the queen, I think Rishi Sunak is. I do, I do think it's true, like, to be honest. And I think also this conversation is obscured, not just about politics, but about like books, film, TV, because the response to which, oh, we want to see ourselves represented was by the mainstream. Okay, yeah, here you are. Here's your opportunity. Sell us all your trauma. So I think people have become sick of that gaze on things and that lens like I've seen a lot of um discourse on Twitter about it particularly about like books that deal with race there was this article going around which the headline I haven't read it but the headline was like oh we told the publishing industry how racist it was its response question mark yes drag us which I think is so appropriate right like these white institutions once you point something out say oh my god yeah we are terrible what can we do and then it's like just tell us how much more terrible we are and like tell us why it hurts you and tell us why you don't have these opportunities and tell us this like it's never you know explore something joyful about your experience or explore the good things about you or represent yourself as you see yourself it's always represent yourself in a way that makes us feel bad or good or that we're making a difference you're really right about the idea of the term entering politics and I was thinking because I, I read another article about this and it, the term lived experience has really entered American politics. Mm. So um, the phrase, the, the person wrote, um, the first person's called Promise Frank L4. And they wrote about how it can be seen, they use this language in an executive order in the United States under Joe Biden, called the Executive Order on Ensuring an Equitable Pandemic Response and Recovery. Joe Biden underlined that the Health Equity Task Force will include individuals with lived experience relevant to groups suffering disproportionate rates of illness and death in the United States. Kamala Harris, in her victory speech last year, promised to share her lived experience of race and gender with Biden to influence policymaking. So it's I just find it interesting 
the way this term has entered politics and even the way politicians use this term mm. and especially to their own advantage especially when it comes to politicians who are of color mm-hmm. to try and like evade criticism i think people like rishi sunak or Priti patel they can kind of do that as well yeah i think this is part of the problem right with individualism as an overall thing because yeah we can have like people of color or we can have women in positions of power whether that is across politics or hollywood or publishing but at the end of the day those people can still be like oppressive monsters or like neoliberal or just not actually be able to make change so in that sense lived experience is kind of like a farce because you say like oh my lived experience is I'm going to use my lived experiences as x type of person but that x could be an extremely unrelatable experience to most other people within that group it's just like people using the idea of the lived experience to make them seem like an authority figure of things yeah so you can't question them about it and I guess that is one point in that woman's article that I was like okay I get that point um, but you can really see that in the way politicians misuse the term. But then that also goes back to like what you're saying about comments and how people comment on the internet. So I think the overriding like point here is that we take lived experience as truth. Yeah. When, when it's everybody not has different truth. lived experiences. Yeah. Like there's not one lived experience. There's no experience. singular truth. Exactly. I wish a comment section on this. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah that's a really good point like your lived experience doesn't actually give you authority over a topic because everybody's lived experiences is very different even if you share similarities exactly I think it's how you apply your lived experience to everything Mm -hmm. like to the way you tell stories or to whatever you want to do but I think at the same time like I write about this in my book about how So, for example, we have this article which is basically saying, oh, it's really, like, tyrannical, saying that only marginalised people can write about their specific marginalised experiences. But that's not actually a thing that marginalised people have ever so explicitly said. It's a box we've been put in. So, in the book, I write kind of about this through the lens of Tumblr feminism. So, all these, like, queer and, like, young women making work that was about their bodies because they were 16. Like, what the fuck else do you have to talk about when you're 16? And then suddenly 10 years later they're expected to make the same work because they were put in that box and people want to rinse recycle and repeat that trauma over and over again because it sells well like we've never been asked to be boxed in these ways but we've also never been considered experts about anything else it's because identity politics is so massive now like Mm. everything is about identity and identity makes you an authority figure i know i don't know love So we asked in the dollhouse because when Halima was like, when we were discussing this topic, I said, oh, it's kind of like the gay people should only play gay roles in Hollywood thing. And we asked the dollhouse what they think. And the response was quite mixed, wasn't it, Halima? Very much so. Some like it was it was very much like when you have a gay person playing a gay character, there was actually a lot more nuance because, you know, they understand. And Misha actually used the term lived experience. Like they have. Oh my God, I'm going to find the comments so I can read it it out. Um, So it's more nuanced, but they did mention that it depends on the way it's written. So like a straight person could play a gay person pretty well. It just depends how the character is written. Obviously, you know, it depends the background of the writer and stuff like that. 
Um, okay, yeah. so I have the comment. Gay roles performed by gay actors are inherently more truthful and nuanced because it is already a lived experience. Much how like the ladies in Disclosure talk about trans actors playing trans characters. However, it's less egregious when straight actors play gay if the role is well written and well directed. A straight actor can give a good gay performance, but it takes a lot more to get there. Like the decision to for a director to get a dialect coach for an actress to learn an accent rather than hiring someone who already has that accent. I don't think lived experience automatically gives someone authority over a subject, but it does arm them with truth, or at least part of it, part of the multiverse of truths that make up the whole. Mm, what a beautiful way to say that. <laughs> you know what, though? I think that that is a bit more true than certain other things we are seeing in Hollywood. So, for example, I'm not denying that there is I'm not saying there is no homophobia in Hollywood or nothing or any of this because I don't believe that but like I remember you're gonna love this reference Halima I remember I absolutely blew my mind off when I found out the disabled boy in Glee is not disabled <laughs> like what the hell what the actual yeah. fuck that shocked like, me as well there's so many things in which like Hollywood is a bit further along with like gay men but there are so many things in which, so name me one actor that is in a wheelchair. I literally can't think of one off the top of my head mm-hmm. that we know that is like in stuff. Like I, the only person that even has a like kind of physical disability I can think of is Ryan O'Connell, who does special on Netflix. There's that fella from Sex Education who's in a wheelchair. Yeah, that's so true. Like mm-hmm. those two, ex- that's two examples. Like how many fucking like white male actors or white female actors can you name? Just literally off the top of your head. How many nepotism babies can you name? Like off the top of your head. And we can't name any disabled actors. Like there's some points in which it's just necessary to get these people in. Like also with trans characters, for example, like how many times has the trans experience been butchered? Not mm. not only because it's played by a cisgender person, but also because it's written by a cisgender person and directed by a cisgender person and all of these things produced. I think it's the same with fat people and fat people is something that we see disregarded in Hollywood so much. Like Jared Leto in House of Gucci. Sarah abs- Paulson in Sarah Paulson um, in that, American Crime yeah. Story. I know there's an upcoming thing with Renee Zellweger where she wears a fat suit. Wow. It's literally not that hard to find fat people. Like, I can name a few fat actresses like Chrissy Metz, Beanie Feldstein. Like, there's a couple of others, I'm sure. Melissa McCarthy. Melissa McCarthy, exactly. But instead, we use fatness as a mockery. And that's why we only put these people in fat suits, because their characters are always jokes. Mm-hmm. But this is exactly why people are, you know, argue for the lived experience thing, which I get. And I think it's just a nuanced thing. Like, I don't think it's good or it's inherently bad. But I should say, you know, the fellow from Glee, you know, if you go into London Liverpool Street, there's a picture of him. Um, <laughs> really? <laughs> there's a picture of him um, on the wall. Like, if you go down the escalator into London Liverpool Street, <laughs> and it's... <laughs> And it's him shirtless because mm-hmm. they use him as an ad for weight loss and like body sculpting. And it's definitely they just photoshopped his head on somebody else's oh, body. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I see every time I think he did not, he doesn't look like this. And he did not allow it to happen. It's crazy. Yeah. Makes me but yeah, I absolutely, my head blew off when I found out he wasn't in a wheelchair. Yeah. It was only a couple of years ago as well. Like when he was on Celebrity X Factor. My brother's watching Glee at the minute. And I remember the clip of when he was trying to walk on crutches and he fell down and he told Tina to just leave him on the floor. And he's <laughs> crying his ass off. And I keep thinking like, you're not really disabled. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think that's the thing about this, like this conversation, like the limit of lived experiences or the fact that consistently as a culture, we have to revisit this point of like, oh, who's allowed to talk about what? Oh my God, have you seen, this is a complete side note. I'll go back to my point. Hopefully I can remember it. So have you seen Piers Morgan has a new TV show? Yeah. It's like on a new channel where all the cancelled people are getting TV shows. So Sharon Osbourne has a show on it as well. They are running the adverts between every, on every advert break for all four at the moment. Like every single one. Oh my God, it's driving me absolutely nuts. And it's like, he goes like, it's for the people that want to have big conversations. And then the producer is like, uh, Piers, not everyone identifies as a person. And then it goes on like that with like five difference of those jokes over and over again. God. My point being, I feel like there's a certain group of people in our society that rely on these conversations so much for their talking points and for their mm-hmm. relevance, like to court controversy. Like, well, why aren't I allowed to talk about a giraffe identifying blah, 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 blah. And it's really just a massive distraction technique from actually giving anyone the time and space to talk about anything in depth. And people make it seem like it's a joke, like like talking about like, oh, can a gay person oh. when there that um Misha mentioned the disclosure documentary that was very clear about the violence enacted when a a, a man plays a trans woman mm. on TV. Exactly. Like, a lot of these conversations are actually really serious and people make them seem like they're jokes, which is I think is really harmful. Yeah, I think it is. And it's just like, it's just minimizing. And it also just, again, because for example, what I said about visibility, the only visibility we're being afforded is to justify our experiences. It's the exact same thing. Marginalized people constantly have to like prove that they are an authority or that they can speak or that they deserve an opportunity. Whereas then you have this writer being like, can I only talk about Gen X? Why haven't it? Try it. See how your income falls. And it like that is her. That is her oppression. That is yeah. her hill to walk over. Yeah, exactly. But thank you, Paula, for this topic. Even though it was a terrible article. Yeah. yeah, I think it's a tough one because while we're so like embroiled in individualism in so many bad ways, that can kind of like make us fall into traps when it comes to this specific conversation like individualist mindsets and blah 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 blah. but i don't know my head was my head is scrambled i've loved this topic i can't lie yeah well done halima for thinking of it oh thank you (laughs) okay um well that's it that's the pod Uh uh-huh we'll see you next week thank you halima Thanks, Ioni. Anima's going to make me thank her 10 million times before the episode closes out. <laughs> She's applying lip balm right now in this very, I know it's I'm that bitch way. <laughs> lip balm. <laughs> Gifted to us from a TikTok event. Ooh. Yes. And also, if you want to get in on the group chat in which Misha's comment was read out from, join our Dollhouse Members Club. You get to chat yes. to us. We always talk about the podcast before it goes live, so you get the exclusive tea. It's true, it's true. And thank you to Olivia for editing this episode, to Gina and Gina, and Hattie and Charlotte and Grace and Charlotte and Eden. I said Charlotte twice. She gets, <laughs> she gets it twice because she's on holiday. We'll see you next week. Goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.